Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you, and welcome to The Brian Buffini Show. Something real special for you today. Once a year, I hold a very exclusive event at the La Costa Resort and Spots called the Peak Experience. And the 500 most successful people in our coaching program come to this for three days of very advanced immersion in content, networking, synergy, very, very powerful time. And rarely have we brought anybody in to view this or see this, but you're going to get a chance at it today. And one of my great friends, Mr. John Gordon, was recently a guest at our peak experience. We did a live Q&A session, and it was on leadership. Now, you guys have heard of John Gordon before. He wrote the best-selling book, The Energy Bus. Just a phenomenal guy, a guy who really lights up a room. And he's been on every major TV network. I think he's had eight or ten bestsellers. Just phenomenal. Sold over three million copies of his book worldwide. But he is the real deal. And he speaks to a lot of sports teams and really a great motivator and a great innovator. And he came to our group to talk about leadership, and it morphed into more than just business leadership. It went leading your life and your business. And so it was a great time. We had a great Q&A. If you're watching this on YouTube, you'll see the chemistry he and I have together. If you're listening on our podcast, I think you'll enjoy it. Take good notes. Our audience also had a chance to ask John some questions. And so this is just very rich content. There's a lot of leadership stuff. There's from managing millennials to how to manage yourself and have positive energy. All I know is every time I'm around John Gordon, I feel better. I feel empowered. And I feel more equipped to go take on the challenges of business and life. I think you will, too. Let's join John and I in action in a Q&A session at our Peak Experience event. For any of us that struggle with the negativity and the positivity, before you go transform your company and this thing, how do you go about the personal transformation yourself? Well, it starts with you. And you have to make sure that you invest in you first. Mm. You have to be the best you can be before yeah. you can be the best for others. Yeah. So for me, it's just a lot of walks of gratitude right. and prayer we talked about. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was gratitude and prayer that helped me turn my life around. Right. And so through prayer... I can't do it alone, God. I need help here. Right. And it was really as much of a spiritual transformation yeah. as it was a mental transformation. Sure. But it happened at the same time. It happened at the same time. Because there's a lot of spiritual people who are extraordinarily negative. Right. That's a good point. And so this is my encouragement to you. So John talked earlier about going for his walks of gratitude. So I'm a student. So I'm at Mastermind. He says that. I write it down. I read it in his books. I write it down. So I go on my walks of gratitude. And my walks of gratitude, I just want to give you encouragement here. My walks of gratitude, and I'm a pretty positive person who, like, you know, I write personal notes. I'm, I'm known for being a person full of gratitude. My walks of grinding started. So it took me a while before, because I would have all the stuff from the previous day yeah. and all the stuff that was on my mind. And I'd go for a walk, and I'd start out, hey, thank you for this morning. I'm thankful for the fresh air. I'm thankful for that. But that son of a gun... <laughs> And if I talk to that person and this and that, and so this, I just, has anybody ever tried to do the positive stuff and it wasn't so positive? Yes or no? And you got to keep trying. And so I just want to add that my walks of gratitude, I thought I was a far more grateful person than it turned out. And it was just, I was a highly stressed, grateful person. 
Does that make sense? And my initial walks of gratitude were a grind that over time became, I went from 10% to 90 to 50 to 50, and now the majority of the time. And the beautiful thing I think where I got to, and tell me if this is your experience, was now I'll go and I'll do the gratitude piece, and I'm very conscious of that because it does fill you up, and you feel better. You've just had a great encounter with yourself. And also what you just said is it's really key in terms of it's a process. Right. It doesn't happen overnight. I didn't become positive overnight. This is years and years. If you are weeding and feeding the garden of your mind yeah. and you do it for a day, it's not really going to do much. Yeah. But if you weed and feed the garden of your mind for a week, you do it for a month, mm. you do it for a year, seven years, a lifetime, mm. that garden starts to look magnificent. Right. So I could say my garden now is much better than it was, right. but... I'm also excited about who I'm becoming because sure. I know that I'm going to continue to grow. My daughter, a couple of years ago, she said, uh, Dad, you need to read your own book, is what she said to me. <laughs> sure, sure. And, right? Sure. And I was having a bad day. Yep. It wasn't a bad like, month or year, but it was oh, yeah. probably a bad week. I found myself being so negative. So that led me to sit at a computer and I wrote this positive pledge because I was like, she's right. Mm. So I wrote this positive pledge on something that would allow me to focus on and making sure that I was actually living it and making sure that I was bringing it forth to my life each day. So I wrote the positive pledge, started to live the positive pledge. You read each day, and it's a reminder of how to live. So here's how it's evolved for me. I moved to a place called Del Mar. I work in Carlsbad. I never go home the freeway. Even if I'm late, I won't go the freeway. There's four beaches that I pass on the way down the coast. I roll down my right window. I smell the fresh air. And I breathe it in. And people are out walking and jogging. I see the ocean. I see the waves. I see the whole thing. And I got a pass to not cheat the parking situation. And I get to the last beach. And if I have enough time, I end the day with my walk of gratitude. That's what I did. So I tried to do it in the morning. And I'm so keyed up for the day. And so now what I'll do, about two out of every four trips home, I'll pull into the last beach. And I go for a walk. And I start, well, okay, what went right today? What was cool today? What am I thankful for? Who am I thankful for? By the way, Beverly's very happy when I come home after my walk. <laughs> and when I get to the parts that are the very difficult, big things that are there, where I finish up with, okay, God, I'm leaving that one to you. And then I go home. And so that's a tip that you've given me that's been very transformative for me, but it didn't go as planned, and it took a long time. The garden's looking a lot better. I wanted Miracle Grow. I went, okay, I'm doing it. <laughs> right? I'm doing the walk, John. What the frost is going on here? I shouldn't have bought the book for all the people of Mastermind. I knew it. I got tuck again. And so it's like everything else, right? So anyway, that's a great example. But we're friends. You yeah, just no, 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 what are you doing to me, Gordon? Okay. Positive leadership. How does positive leadership navigate through confrontation? the negative situation, the negative person. So sometimes it's not a negative person, it's a negative situation. So how do you address the difficult thing without becoming the destroyer yourself? But something has to change, something's got to happen. How do you go about that and remain voraciously positive? Always with honesty, Mm. transparency, authenticity. I saw a leader, a superintendent of a school district, Mm. let the audience know that 10% were going to lose their jobs because they haven't do budget cuts. Mm. He got a standing ovation mm. because he was always honest. He was always someone they could trust, always someone they respected, yeah. always someone that they believed in. So from that standpoint, 
when you create a culture and you say, this is how we do things here, that begins the process of letting everyone know how we will deal with negativity. Right. Right. So you don't go right into dealing with the negativity. You have a team meeting and you talk about, hey, this is the kind of culture we're creating. This is how we deal with negative situations. This is how we deal with adversity. Yeah. And this is how we're going to approach these as a team. Yeah. And this is how I'm going to do it as a leader. Right. Here's what you could expect from me. And here's what I expect from you. Right. And so you have those kind of conversations from a cultural level. And then when the situations arise, then you deal with principle, right. not so much with emotion and anger. Right. And one little tip on that from a coaching standpoint. How many of you are very pragmatic people? Can I see your hands? How many of you would say, you've told people, I'm a truth teller. Has anybody said this to you? I'm going to be brutally honest with you. What, what does that mean? Buckle up. And so it's very important that you deliver truth with grace. It's very important that you consider the other person before you consider yourself. You know, you talked about the throw-up principle, right? right? Which is profound, right? Yeah. No one will ever forget that. <laughs> yeah. right? You throw up, you feel better, everyone <laughs> else feels sick. There's a lot of times people want to get something off their chest. So they get it off their chest, and now it's on everyone else's. Yeah. And so stylistically, I'd say be honest but also be gracious if you intend to lead people. And my view with Buffini Company is I hold every staff person with an open hand. Not that I can do without you. I view the greatest assets of Buffini Company that drive out of my parking lot every day. But I hold them all with an open hand and say, while you're here, I want you to be great. I want you to serve. I want you to grow. And if you leave here, I want you to leave here better than you came. So if you go to some other organization and go, man, you, you are in Buffini. We, we want you. And you have any more like you. And they're great. And I've had people that I let go that either handle it so well, they either came back or they said, I didn't like you at the time, but it was the making of me. We went through a brutal recession. One of the people we let go was Derek Jones. And I let go a bunch of people like Derek Jones. It was hard, but I didn't control the worldwide economic downturn. And the fact that 75% of our revenues went down in the space of 12 months and I still had all the infrastructure to support all the people we coached. And so someone like Derek Jones was let go. Now, two things. The way he handled it and the way we handled it, when the Buffini Company came back on the rise, he was one of the first people called. And dozens of people were called, okay? So it can be done. Yes. How many of you are facing a difficult conversation with somebody? Okay? It can be done. It can be done. But and, and not every situation is going to be the same. Right. One advice for one situation is going to have to be different for another situation. So it doesn't always work. There's no one size fits all. So it's really about addressing each situation the right way. But as a leader, if you lead with your principles, if you know what you stand for, if you know what your culture is about, and there's negativity that needs to be addressed or some situation that needs to be addressed, yeah. as long as you are always out front and deal with it, always remember that you know, great families fight. There's going to be some disagreements. It's never the fighting that hurts a family. It's the fact that there's no trust and love and respect. So it's not the fighting. It's the lack of trust, love, and respect that affects a team. So my family, we fight. Oh, yeah. My wife's Irish. Oh. I mean, we, we fight. She doesn't drink. She, you know, she just doubles up on the fighting. Nice. So, um, so Makes for passionate people, though. <laughs> she's very passionate. And so... We fight, and our kids will fight as a family, but we do have a lot of love and yeah. trust and respect, right. so that fighting makes us stronger, 
rather than hurts the team. Mm. So always remember that. It's never the fighting. It's the fact right. that what do you say during the fights? Do you disrespect each other? Is there no trust and love? And that's the case. So if, that's why I say if your team knows you love them mm-hmm. and you respect them and they respect you, you're going to have disagreements. So let's have it. Let's talk about it. I had one with my team member the other day. Like, hey, let's, let's talk this out. Let's work it out. I said, you're a little fired up right now. Why don't you cool down and then we'll talk. We had a great conversation at the end. And he's like, I love you. I'm like, I love you. And we went back to it. This is Daniel I've worked with now for 15 years. We've had a long relationship. But we have to have those conversations. But like six, seven years ago, we couldn't have those conversations mm. because I was afraid to address it. He would get defensive. Yep. I didn't know how to address it. I would then get negative. Now, after writing this book, The Power of Positive Leadership, yep. I've become a lot better in terms yep. of addressing situations and issues. And you, you become a pro at it. And again, you become better at it. So the more you have the difficult conversations, the better you will be as a team. Seattle Seahawks has Tell the Truth Mondays. Tell the Truth Mondays. Every Monday, yeah. I wrote a book, The Power of a Positive Team. It comes out June 11th. The Power of a Positive Team. This is what makes great teams great. So I took what I learned from teams just like leaders. Well, anyway interviewing Seattle, Pete Carroll, and so forth. Every Monday, they get together. All right, what did we do wrong on Sunday during the game? Mm. What did you do wrong? And everyone knows up front, this is not a time to get defensive. We got to tackle these issues, address what went wrong, address the mistakes we made so we can get better. So no one gets defensive. They tell the truth, and they grow from the truth. But you said there's grace there. Grace must arrive before truth. Yeah, right. Spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. That's what your mom told you. That's what your grandma told you. And they were right, right? Spoonful of sugar. Not just soften them up and so on and so forth. And I will say this. I'm part of a network of people that have 75,000 employees. And we do regular conference calls and brainstorming and all this kind of stuff. And uh, let me tell you this. When you're hiring these younger folks that are coming up, you better have this handled. Because they're very tuned into it. Not in a they're weak-minded way. In that they're really in tune way. They're in tune in many different ways. And so this emotional intelligence, it's coming. It's coming. And you, you know, we can't, oh, you know, yeah, back in my day, we walked to school, <laughs> eight feet of snow, uphill both ways, barefoot, and we were thankful, and you're not thankful. And so that ain't going to cut it. Oh, you were barefoot. You were stupid, weren't you? And you went uphill. Oh, my God. Why didn't you just use an Uber? Oh, my God. <laughs> So we got to grow and we got to grow for the people to come. We got to grow in real estate. The most influential demographic that ever hit real estate was the baby boomers. And they changed everything. They bought homes and they bought second homes. The millennials are twice the size of the baby boom generation. We got to figure this out. You're going to be hiring them. You're going to be working with them. Can I talk about millennials for a second? Go for it, baby. How many of you lead millennials right now? We have millennials on your team. So millennials get a bad rap, but... Millennials actually will make us better leaders because they require positive leadership. So the very leadership that I'm talking about as a positive leader is what the millennials need to be successful and what you need to be successful to lead them because millennials want to be engaged. You must engage them. Mm. They want to know you care about them. You must show them that you care about them. You have to have lunch with them. If you don't, their mother's going to call. So you have to make sure that you have lunch with them. That's a joke, of course. Not really. Yeah. They may. We'll talk. They may. And so you have to engage them. You have to have a purpose. They want to work for a company that has a purpose. If I'm just working for a paycheck, I don't want to come to work. So you have to have a purpose. So everything we're talking about is actually what they require, and they make us better leaders. But if you engage them and you have a purpose, 
and you lead with positivity and they know you care about them and they know they have a track towards growth and improvement and they can see where their career is going. They can be the most engaged yeah. and most successful and productive because they are sharp. Yeah. They are smart on it. and they are on it. So, so we just have to learn how to lead in that way. The old dictatorial style of leadership does not work anymore. When I go to sports teams, it's amazing. Even 10 years ago with the Falcons, my first team that I worked with at, you know, at that level, guys didn't even look at you. They didn't talk to you when you were done. Now, they want to come up to you. They want to have a talk with you. They want to take a picture with you. Yeah. They want to get your social media information. Even at the athletic level, these guys are very different than they were nine, ten years ago. Yeah. Very different. And coaches want to, well, coaches need to engage. Brad Stevens with the Celtics, if you're watching them. Oh. I, I asked Brad, I said, I said, Brad, um, I said, do the NBA players want to have a relationship with their coach? Because a lot of the old school guys that I know are saying that they don't. And you know what? They're just here for the paycheck. And this is how you have to coach them. And Brad said, you know what, John? No. They want a relationship. Yeah. And I develop a relationship sure. with them. It's the most important thing that I do. He said, that's just an excuse for the old guard to not actually do it. Right. But they want it, they need it, and it's why the Celtics are performing at the level they are, because you have a coach who understands them, develops a relationship with them. I work with Sean McVay. He's 32 years old. They think he is a millennial. Yeah. And Sean is the same way. He really knows how to develop a relationship with these Sean players. He's the head coach yeah, of the coach Rams. Youngest guy. Youngest NFL, NFL coach ever, 32 years old. He was 31 when he got the job. Incredible leader, but he knows how to develop a relationship. So that's what we have to do today. He has players who are older than him. Yeah, Andrew Whitworth is older than right. him. And so the real deal is the old style of leadership was control. Do it because I said so. This is how I learned to do it. Suck it up. Get her done. And there was a certain part of that that was easier, except that everything grew underneath the rocks, and passive aggressiveness was the number one disease and it just plays itself out all the time. And you never get people's best. The thing about these millennials you're talking about, they want to work for people who have a vision and a sense of purpose. So we worked on it yesterday. We worked on your mission statement. We worked on your core values yesterday. So that as you continue to refine and define that, you're going to find that there's people, clients who want to be a part of that, and people who want to work for you to be a part of that. They want to be a part of something bigger. And so that's a profound thing. There were generations that were defined by, I want to make more money. I want me, and I want one, and I want a bigger house, and I want this, and I want that. I want more than the next guy. That's not who these folks are. So we can't criticize them because they actually have a, a different sense of values. Now, at the same time, you'll deep breath on this one. This same group of the 75,000 people and the employers just got released a study from the University of Michigan State. And so what happened was they did a survey of massive numbers of companies about millennial employees and applications. And so here's what they found. 33% of the applications they were getting to millennials were not submitted by the kid, they were submitted by the parent. <laughs> that 17% had received phone calls at, to HR about why is my kid not getting a raise or a promotion? <laughs> well, you hear this one. 4% of the applicants, the parent went on the interview with them. Wow. And if you bring mommy to an interview at Buffini Company, I'm a very positive guy. <laughs> and so I say, okay, the issue's not with the kid. Okay, so we say it's the millennials. Okay, the issue's not with the kid. The issue is I'm afraid psychologically of my kid coming any kind of harm or difficulty or any kind of problem or not being on the team or having to ride the bench or having to do those types of things. And so as an employer or a leader, you have to understand that's the dynamic of some of these perspective of your clients and some of the perspective of your staff. And so that's why leadership 
and strong leadership and mission-driven and great communication is vital. Like on a, a buyer presentation, listening presentation, more essential than ever before. Now, millennial will not come into your office because they're immune to sales pitches, but they'll meet you for a coffee. And when you meet them for a coffee, you better have value. You better have your stuff down. And they need a, a formal presentation more than anybody. It can be with pictures. You can send it to their phone ahead of time if you want. But you need to walk them through the dynamic. And it's a very, very important. Clear communication. Everything John was talking about today. Those four C's. You guys remember the four C's? What were they? What's number one? All together. Communication. communication. What's number two? Yeah. Connection. Number three? Yeah. Commitment. Number four? Yeah. They're not bad, are they? I told you they were good. That's great. Okay, this is a side note. This is only being recorded and sent to millions of people, so no one will ever hear this. (laughs) Of all the teams you work with, who's been the most fun to work with? It's hard to say that there's just one. Because I I want you to alienate your entire dad. Right, hard to say it's one. But Clemson, obviously, has become special. your child is going to college. Where my daughter's a sophomore, my son's going there as a freshman. And also because... I started working with the team when no one even knew about Clemson. Sure. So in 2012, you started working with them. I remember going up there, quiet. No one was even up there. I would tell people about Dabo Sweeney. They're like, yeah. Dabo who? And then to see this team become what they've become and to see his vision being realized. I mean, when he got the job, he asked for a TV for his office. And the athletic director said, we don't have it in the budget to give you a TV. So we went to Best Buy and he bought his own TV. And... He showed me this TV, put his arm around it. He said, if I ever leave here, I'm bringing this TV with me because it's mine. <laughs> and then you imagine now years later, here we are nine years later, they just built a $55 million facility at Clemson. With putt-putt golf. With and, and all the things he wants. But it's really a testament to leadership. So I think yeah. that's been probably the most special in terms of just seeing where they've come, winning a national ch- It was my first championship that I've ever had working with the team. Yeah. Again, it wasn't my, my doing at all, but it was just fun to be a part of that. And then to also have your kids and see their lives being impacted by it. So a lot of people have heard your message. Yeah. This guy applied it better than anybody. What makes him special? Yeah. Why does he apply it? What does he do? Is it the attention to detail? Is it the heart that he brings yeah. to it? What would you say? Describe it. Whether it's him, whether it's Donna Orinder, Corey Close at UCLA Women's Basketball, yeah. or any of the organizations I get to work with, they all share the same characteristics. And it's love and accountability. And it's this incredible optimism and belief. And this faith. With Dabo and people like that, and Alan Mullally at Ford just learning from him, yeah. when I interviewed Alan, I saw the exact same characteristics in both he and Dabo. And that became the basis of the book because I was like, all right, these people did the impossible. How did they do the impossible? Well, they were so positive. Think about it. Through the Great Recession, Ford did everything right, and now no one was buying cars. Right. So they did everything right. They restructured. They're building now new gray cars, and no one's buying them. So everyone's freaking out. Everyone's pessimistic. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And he was so steadfast in his optimism and his positivity. He steadied the ship, and he said, we have a plan. Everyone has to know the plan, embrace the plan, and relentlessly work towards the plan. If we need to adjust, we will, but we have a plan, and we'll move forward. And he said, he told me, John, positive leaders find a way forward. And I would say he, Dabo, and every other great leader, that's what they do. They just have such incredible optimism and faith and belief that somehow tomorrow's going to be better, and I'm going to work and do whatever I can to make that possible. And positivity can only be tested in the fire of negativity, right? Yes. And it's th- got to go through these challenges. It's got to go through these setbacks. Yeah, Dabo Sweeney was 6-7 and seven in 2010. Right. 6-7. And, seven and they the wanted him gone. And almost got fired. Yeah. And so through that adversity, through that challenge, you see what someone's made of. They lead by their principles. 
I talked to David Cutcliffe, the coach at Duke, and David Cutcliffe went like four and, you know, whatever, and won three games, two games, four games, one game. He said, but he knew he was on the right path because he saw progress and he saw behind the scenes what was happening with his team. The next three years went to a bowl game every single year. Yeah. And so I love sports. Again, I, I, when I share sports examples, it's not sports analogies. These are principles because you can see very quickly whether this leadership principle works or not in the course of a season. You can see watching last night, the Sixers and the Celtics, you can see who's more connected as a team. Mm -hmm. You can see the principles play out. And I love in the course of a year, you can see that. But with your company and other companies, you can see the same principles. It may just take a longer time to see. Right. Fight through it. Okay. Here's what we're going to do. I have a ton of questions. I took pages of notes today. And we talk all the time. I hope you filled your book and heart today with all the great stuff. Maybe you have a few questions. And this is a chance. This is the magic of this type of event. I bring my friends in and I expose them to you guys. And now you get a chance to ask some questions. So the guys and you have can mics. ask me a personal question as well. So okay. feel free to great. personal, professional. Right. The lads have it. the mics. You guys pick who you want. Let's go two at a time. Let's go. Two questions. First, how do you handle a team member who flip-flops between positive and negative energy? Second, a more personal question. What's your biggest struggle? So one, you have a no moody rule. Nice. Moody Blues. It's not okay to be moody. I was with a professional baseball team during spring training, and I said to them in the locker room, it's not okay to be moody. It's just not okay. You have to show up every day to be your best for yourself and for your team. We have to be consistent or else we lose trust because your team can't trust you if they don't know what to expect from you. Mm. Are they going to be positive, negative, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde? We know the whole deal. So you have to be able to talk to that person and say, look, you're not consistent. I really need to be more consistent and be able to know what I can expect from you. So it's an honest conversation of love, sharing how that's important and talking about that. Your second question, what's my biggest struggle? I would say my biggest struggle, we were just talking about it, I mean, if I'm going to be transparent, is just probably my health right now. I spoke the last three months almost like every day for the past three months, and my adrenals are probably just shot. So I would say it's, it's probably just staying healthy right now in the face of wanting to make a difference. Yeah. And I have pretty much have decided I'm saying no to every engagement mm -hmm. for the rest of the year. So whatever Other I have on the books, one. yeah, except for this one. <laughs> and... <laughs> When Brian asked that day, I was like, oh, okay, yes, but nothing else. And so I got to get back to being healthy. We as leaders have to take care of ourselves yeah. so that we can take care of others and lead others. Yeah. And he's such a passion for it. And he wants to serve. It's all good values that lead to saying yes to everything. Just so you know, it's all good values. Yeah. He started out, he still remembers South Korea. Yeah. That, that's the only place my book was selling, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He still remembers six people in a room. I remember. We have all these experiences. We talk in shorthand. Everybody wants to be a speaker except the people who do it. You know, it's hard. It's hard. And so, you know, you go through this and it's the whole put your oxygen mask on first. It's the same principle for you guys. And I can be very honest and say, like, I have never made decisions based on money. It's never been something that I've, I've made decisions on throughout my entire life. I don't speak because I can make money because I made more money than I've ever thought I would make. Sure. My books have gone on to sell three million copies so far. I honestly never thought I would sell five. So I'm really, no, I, I humbly am thankful to God. So what drives me is how can I make a difference and impact? So we talked about, it's called the Messiah complex. When you think you have to go out there because you have to save the world and share this message. But when I looked at what the real Messiah did, he actually empowered others to go save the world. Yeah, right. And so my next step is to develop leaders. Yeah. That's good. Great. Who's next? John, I don't have a question. I just want to let you know something. You got me here. 
I've had a really rough three and a half years almost and was not myself, was not positive, was not even engaged. And reading your book in February put my positive energy to all of the white hats on the Facebook page, and I got here. Uh, thank, thank you. you so much. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much, Gail. Thank Great. you. Great. Who's next? Good morning, John. Thank you for being here, and thank you for moving mountains to be at Mastermind. We appreciate that. My question is, how do you deal with someone who's just naturally talented, incredibly talented, but just defensive? So that's a coaching moment. And again, you have to earn the right. I truly believe you have to earn the right to be able to constructively talk and share and teach. So if you haven't had a relationship with that person, you can't say, hey, I want to sit down with you. We haven't talked in a year, but I want to tell you about your defensiveness. But if you're speaking into their life and investing in them and serving them, three words, this is the key, love, serve, care. Mm -hmm. This is from the carpenter, Mm -hmm. love, serve, care. If you love and serve and care one person at a time and that person knows that you love them, you're serving that person, you show them you care, you will now earn the right to be able to speak into their life and say, listen, I want to give you some coaching. Can I share with you some coaching? Or say, are you coachable? Yeah, of course I'm coachable. Okay, can I give you some advice then? What do you mean coachable? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then if they say yes, now you earn the right. I actually do this with my kids now. Instead of just giving advice, they say, hey, you know, I have something to share with you. Can I share some feedback? And they'll be like, no, dad, I want to hear it. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. Right. You know, and I'll say, I'm just going to the Dodgers right now. They'll hear it, but you guys won't. That's fine. Uh, Yeah, right. But then they don't really care. But then sometimes they'll say, yeah, tell me. And I'll say, okay. And so you ask for permission, and then when they do, you share it in a loving, caring way. This is really to help you get better. I notice that when I'm talking to you, you seem like you're defensive. Is there any reason why, you know, and help them explore that? Right. Here's the question. You watch how you have your answer here, and I'm going to ask you a couple questions, okay? Why is somebody defensive? Uh, Fear. What are they fearful of? Um, Being wrong. Being wrong? And not being loved. Not being loved. Why is someone defensive? means they have a defense up. Why do they have a defense up? Because they've been hurt in the because past. Because they've been hurt. So you got to stop being hurt. You got to stop the hurt in the past. So empathy is the cornerstone of emotional intelligence. And so this person's defensive. Does it change it for you that this person's been hurt? Now, you can't fill your organization and your life with broken wings and you have the broken wing hospital. Because everybody's got a broken wing, by the way. Some people just mask it better than others. Right. So the key is, as you build relationship and connect, you get to find out where the hurts come from. Sometimes those hurts are so significant, you sure as heck should not be tried to be fixed by a lender or a realtor. And sometimes they need to go get the help they need. And if they don't want to get the help they need, then you can't be that for them. But you first realize, okay, this person's being defensive. It's a trigger mechanism. Now, what normally happens is somebody has a reaction, a defensive reaction, and it brings up a reaction in us. Oh, by the way, what reaction does it bring up in us? Our past hurts. Our own hurts. So now our hurts now are going to have a conversation. This is going to go real well. So when you come from empathy and just learn, my mother used to say count to 10, I never got to 10. But if I at least get to four, I can take two breaths. Uh, Okay, great. Table it, great, all right. Not sweep it under the table, but now's not the time. When the kettle's boiling, that's not the time to have the conversation. 
So, okay, great. We'll come along. And now maybe it's this and that and the other. And then I start to, over time, spend time with the person, find out about their story, find out about their life. And sometimes it's a, it's, they view me. I never thought of it. I've had people who've worked for me who are 30 years and 35 years older than me who viewed me as their father. Right. And then when I said something to them, and I held them in the greatest esteem and they'd run major corporations, then when I said something to them, it was the slap from their dad. And what the frost was that reaction? And I held them in the highest esteem, but they viewed me as their dad. So you have to go through it and just, if you really care, connect, find out, lean in there. Because here's what I will share with you. Not all the broken wings will fly during your tenure. But when a broken wing flies, it becomes stronger and powerful. And man, they're a homing pigeon. They're never leaving you. They're never going anywhere because they walk around the place with gratitude every day. At the Buffini Company Christmas party last year, I was shocked. I don't know why it came up. I was sharing with what we do and wherever else, and I asked the staff, and I don't even know why I said it. I said, how many of you would say your lives have just been transformed or changed since you came to Buffini Company? And I was looking for a few people that I knew, and every hand in the place went up. And then they started cheering and clapping and crying and carrying on, and I'm like, I don't know what to do with that either. <laughs> what are you doing? So... Defense is up because the hurt is here. People only defend what that which is hurt. And if you can help, and, and you don't have to be the source of the hurt, you can't be God to that person, but you can write. But here's a book. Here's someone you might want to see. Here's someone I know who's had the same thing. Here's a friend. See what happens. I think the future of leadership, I've shared this with coaches, I think the future of coaching is healing. Mm. I think the future of leadership is actually healing as well because everyone comes in to an organization with, with hurts. Mm. And if we can help that person heal, we can't heal them. Yeah. But if we can help them find healing, think about how they will grow and they will be with you forever. So can we help that person heal through whatever process that is? Yeah. I found books are very helpful or getting them a coach. Mm -hmm. Again, if you're not a therapist, but in today's world, it's amazing. Leaders, I hear from all the time. It's like, I'm not just a leader now. I'm almost like a therapist. Yeah. But that's how you lead your team. You help them through their challenges, get them on the other side of it. They start to improve and grow. And let's just talk about that a little bit. Because yeah. you shared in your talk this morning about your grandfather being a World War II hero. Yeah. And I got a chance, if you've ever had a chance to do this, is to go take the family to Normandy. If you want to fill your soul, go to Normandy. Because it's exactly the same as it was. Okay. And I've been telling people this for years and marvels. And one of the things that happens, you get a guide for the day. And I always ask the guides tons of questions. They're showing you this and showing you that. And it looks like it did during that time for the most part. And they revere America over there. And so I say, what's the best part about the job? He goes, the best part of the job is the worst part of the job. He said, because now what's happened is these veterans are dying off each and every day. But he said, for the past 20 years, I've had someone sit in the front seat of the van and their family in the back seat of the van. And because they're looking at things that they recognize and it comes alive, and they start engaging in these conversations. And every time at the end of the day, the family's in floods of tears and going, we never heard any of this. So the generation, which is called the greatest generation, which is kind of a big handle, and there was many great things that generation did, but one of the things they didn't do great was communicate and articulate. Right. And share their emotions and share their thoughts or deal with emotions very well. Are you guys with me? And so what's happened is the next generation came up going, man, we've we got to get therapists and psychologists for everything. And the generation that's come under that is far more emotionally aware and far more emotionally connected. And so that's why, it's like, why do we have to do this stuff? Because this is the flip side of the greatest generation that never said anything. Does that make sense? And these are the times we're living in. So there's a context to this. 
So powerful stuff. Great question. Yeah. Who's next? Well, you know, John, I've, I've read all your books. My kids read all your books. I give tons of your books away. Thank you. So I really enjoy all your books. And my question is, when you're in a situation, I, I have a college basketball playing son who is not in the position of leadership and plays at a school with a really bad culture and a coaching staff that is negative, negative, negative all the time. Yep. And they're trying to figure out how to, as a parent, of course, stay out of the way, yep. but help your child interact with people that sometimes kids are just even afraid of. So how do you deal with a, a situation like that? I had to do that with my daughter on her high school team. And what we talked about was this is a great lesson for life that you'll become stronger because of this. And it was all about her staying positive through the challenge, not allowing someone else to affect you, to be stronger than their negativity. And she became strong as a result. But knowing that this is going to be the journey of life. You said earlier that parents don't want their kids to have to deal with challenges yeah. or hardships. We're trying to make it so comfortable for kids today that they don't know how to deal with struggle and adversity. So I saw it as an opportunity for adversity that was being presented to her in many ways to help her become stronger and better. My son's a tennis player. He's about to go to Clemson. He's nervous. He has to run a 5.30 mile to make the team or else you're getting up every day at 5.30 to run until you run a 5.30 mile. Nice. He is freaking out, but I think it's a great thing. I'm like, this is awesome. Yeah. I've been wanting you to get up early for years. You can ride a bicycle with him, right? And work on your health goal. And you do the 5.30 on a bike. I love it. Go faster, son. Exactly. <laughs> mm, that latte is awesome. <laughs> I'll actually try to run with him, but the whole point is, I won't be able to, but the whole point is this is only going to make him better. And yeah. I, I keep telling him, you have to be uncomfortable. Yeah. You have to be uncomfortable. So it's not healthy in that kind of relationship. If there's abuse... In a way that might even need to be addressed. Yeah, so I don't want to gloss over that. Yeah. But with the negativity, you be the leader in the midst of this negativity. You transform from the inside out. Here's a great analogy. The coffee bean, the carrot, and the egg. You put that carrot into hot water, what happens to the carrot? Gets mushy. You put the egg into that hot water, what happens? It's hard, right? gets transformed by the environment. It gets it hardened. Mm. The carrot becomes soft, becomes mushy because of the environment, becomes weaker. But the coffee bean is not affected by the water. Instead, the coffee bean turns that water into coffee. <laughs> magical coffee. <laughs> but it is magical. It happens. A bean yeah. transforms the water into coffee. The coffee bean transforms its environment. So... Give them that analogy. It's actually on YouTube. It's a video. Transform your environment through your leadership because we create inside out, not outside in. Yeah. So and and I'll just I'd add to that. Brilliant, by the way. It's freaking brilliant, by the way. <laughs> I love that. That's don't get hard, don't get mushy. Yeah. My son went through this. Lived it. Where my son and another guy on the team, and I can't mention all the different details, but the head coach was positive, the position coach was not. Yeah. Position coach told him face-to-face and off the side, you'll never play for me because your father's white. Now, if a white guy said that to a black kid, he'd be in jail. Him and another kid who was a white kid, he told him, you're white, you're never playing for me. Okay? Imagine this. That kid, by the way, never played for that team, had to sit out a year, transferred, played for a little team called Alabama, and just got drafted in the second round. Okay? My kid was better than that guy. He was on higher on the depth chart. My kid said, I'm not going anywhere. And I'll tell you a long story. Dabo Sweeney's mentor and the guy that impacted his faith was the guy that was trying to recruit my son. I'll tell you that whole story sometime. AJ said, I'm not going. 
I'm supposed to be here and I don't know why, but I'm going to fight through it. I wanted to get him out of there. I wanted to do other things, but I, I said, you know what, you're right. It wasn't fun. It wasn't pleasant. But I'm going to tell you, at the end of four years, my boy graduated as a man and made some very deep, deep decisions because during that time of struggle, he found a deep sense of purpose and conviction for the rest of his life. And that's what he's pursuing right now for the rest of his life. And it was that trial that I didn't want him to go through, and it sucked for to watch, and it sucked to be a part of, but it was the making of the man. My son is 25 years of age, and when I'm around him, I kind of shut up and listen and take notes most of the time because he's become a man, okay? And it's, it's good stuff. Great. couple more. Thank you. Hi. Forgive me if this is addressed in any of your books. The next thing on my list is to read them all. Um, good. How do you determine you. complaining versus statement of fact? For example, you know, my husband sometimes will say, why are you complaining? I'm like, I just said it's cold in here. So, <laughs> you know, I'm a... <laughs> That's one example. Whoa. Um, you know, have you ever stepped in a mud hole and yeah. it's just you, boom, and you're next thing you know, you're up to your knee? We, we so just... it's always about intent, right? So it's always about intent. Calling out what is and addressing it to try to change it is always a positive thing. But if we're complaining because we're venting, you know, we're just venting, then that's not such a good thing. But if it is cold in there and you say, cold, well, it is cold in here. How can we raise the temperature, make it warmer? That's not complaining. Yeah. So well, I think it's all about intent. So we have a process. We acquired a company 20 years ago, and these guys all have this thing called a heritage profile, deep, in-depth analysis of their natural gifts and abilities. So here's my guess. Is your husband a pragmatic in communication style? Yeah. So you're aesthetic and he's pragmatic. Okay. So good. So now he's a man and you're a woman. This is good. <laughs> this is good. It's great. So it's not a profile issue. If there's actually differences in people, believe it or not. And so... So my wife would sometimes say things to me. I'm this big, strong, driven guy, and it would make me feel like I wasn't getting it done. Like, or I was failing. The most innocuous statement. Okay? It would sometimes make me feel that way. And so eventually you'll have enough of these interactions that you'll end up having a real conversation someday. And that's the key. Because it's like, hang on a second, I just dropped a feather, and it was a brick. Like, have, you, have you guys ever had this? I, I dropped a feather, and I just I broke this guy's toe. And you could say, you know, you could say, are you cold right now? <laughs> yeah. Ask him if he's cold, see what he says. Yeah. And he says, no, are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure cold. He'll say no, because he's, yeah. he's running. No, no, I mean, so the real question other... is, not that day, not that time. Have the real conversation about why, hey, yeah. Man, the, you know, a few days ago, well. I, was, I was thinking about this. You know, I walked in the room and said, I'm cold. And we had this little interaction. Can you tell me what happened there? Right, because that's just one example. You know, yeah. there's a lot of other... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, no, there's a, there's a phrase. There's a prep. That's there, what he's saying. He's yeah. saying there's more to the yeah. story. Read the no complaining rule, though. Yeah, I think right. that would be one of your first. Right. And you'll, you'll get some good depth yeah. from, from that story. Because I think I'm a generally happy and positive person. But when my husband, my husband is telling me that I'm complaining, I'm like, well, maybe I am complaining. I don't know. So, <laughs> maybe you're just cold. Yeah. You, might, you might just be cold. Yeah. And that's possible. Thank you. That's possible. And every home in the world has a fight over a thermostat, which is okay. But thanks for saying yeah. that. Thanks for saying that. Good. Yeah. Thank you for being honest. Years ago, John Buffini and I worked on a project that's getting reborn right now, and it's called You Said But I Heard. And that's kind of what just happened there. Okay. And uh, You Said But I Heard. 
One time my wife said to me, can I tell you some ways you can be a better father? And instead of getting defensive, which I had in the past, I said, okay. This was years ago. I said, yeah, make me better. And once I said, make me better, two hours later, I was a lot better <laughs> after all of her feedback and input. Maybe three tips were really good. <laughs> and I did them, and, but there was no defensiveness. Yeah. We got better. And I thought about that afterwards, and I say this to teams all the time. What happens if we said to our team members, I'm open to your feedback, yeah. made me better? And what would happen if you know, we knew that someone really had our best interest at heart? Wouldn't we be more open to their feedback yeah. if they really had our best interest? Yeah. Remember that. Yeah, no doubt. And obviously it's this. If what ends up happening, if it's not addressed, is you're going to end up walking on eggshells and saying, man, I can't say anything. Because if I can't talk about the room's freaking cold, how can I talk about this bigger issue over here that's really serious? And so now we're all walking on eggshells. Nobody's really, and nobody's walking. And so that's why, you know, we call it a carefrontation. And at some point in time, and you, you, you always begin by asking questions and genuinely listening with a view to not having the answer until the person's finished. Not having your reply until, I'm confused right now. I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say, well, you know what, something happened the other day. We had this interaction. Tell me what happened. And, you know, I'm a talker and my wife is not. And so I really have to go digging, you know. I mean, I do. And, but when she knows that I'm genuine and I really want to hear her heart, she'll share it with me. And then I have to shut up and listen to it. And listen. And listen. And then I'll go, because she knows I'm quick, I'll go... Let me absorb that. And when I absorb it, and I go for one of my walks, it helps. Because that's just a symptom, and you know that. Okay, great. Couple more real quick. Here's my question. A couple things you said really struck a chord with me, right? Every challenge is an opportunity and don't lack belief. So some of us, write, we all write goals, and we go through the same opportunities over and over and over again. So when you lack the belief... How do you distort the reality enough to change your belief? Jeez, that's great. Well, first, why do you lack the belief? Why do you lack the belief? So for me, the belief of my health goals, right? Some of that is ingrained. Some of that is how I was raised. And then some of it is you do it over and over and over. And you do it differently each time, but it's still somewhere in the same result. So for me, it would be the fact that there would be a trust and a belief in something greater than yourself. Because we are only as good as our own beliefs and our own optimism, and we all fall short. So that's where, God, I can't do it alone, but I trust in you, and I, I need a greater strength here. I can't do it alone. So the reason why I'm so positive is not for my own positivity. It's because I have a greater faith and that God could do more through me than I could do on my own. And so because I live that way and have that faith, I think that's why I have this eternal optimism. I call myself a pessimistic optimist, just so you know, because at first I go pessimistic, like that will never happen. And then, I, and then the next day I'm like, no, no, of course it could happen. And I have this eternal hope that somehow it will happen yeah. and somehow this faith that it will happen. So I would say start just getting more into, again, whatever, I'm not here to, you know, preach a certain religion, but just get more back into faith and just trust that there's a bigger plan for you and that you just have to step into it with hope and optimism and faith and then take the actions each day to do it. Commitments are always greater than goals too. Remember that. That just came to me in terms of what you were thinking. Like it's important to write down goals, but our goals don't take us where we want to go. 
our commitments take us to our goals. So you write your goals down, very important, but then what are your commitments that will take you to your goals? That's what we talk about, training camp, you know, and that kind of message, because that's right. how we become our best. So two things I'd give you real quick. This afternoon, you're going to do a goal like you have never done before, which is going to be very helpful. Great. And the second thing is this. I'll bet if you think about it, many of the movies you enjoy the most or the stories you enjoy the most will be some aspect of someone who overcame, mm-hmm. who persevered, and who triumphed. Is that fair for I you? I would agree with that. And I would say, you know, when you go through that curve of your, you're in optimism and then you go through this little valley of despair yeah. to pull you through to the other side of your goal, when you're in that valley, when you're getting through it, right, you go back to optimism because you started again or yeah. you get pulled through. And it's so when you're in the grinds and in the process, I guess it's what are the beliefs you have to keep going with to pull you through? Well, it's knowing that the roller coaster, for instance, if you were on a roller coaster for the first time, if you've never been on a roller coaster before, and as you were going down, and you didn't know what happens to a roller coaster, what would you do in that moment as you were going down? And you had a little escape hatch or a button you could press to stop. Right. Would you press the button? Yeah, we'd press the button. And so many times we press the button to try to escape. When really we just have to continue to ride the roller coaster and ride it up. And so it's knowing that's an ebb and flow to our journey and to our lives. And we're going to have these negative thoughts, positive thoughts, moments of great triumph and also great tragedy and obstacles. And it's all part of the journey. If you look at any great movie, the hero must struggle. The hero must go through some kind of conflict. I watched Black Panther on the way here, and I'm like, why does he have to go through this? Why does the old relative have to come back and want to seize power? Like, why does this have to happen? And then I realized, well, there'd be no movie yeah. if it was just Black Panther being all awesome the entire yeah, right. time. Boring. So he has to struggle, and he has to come back. Your life is a movie, mm. and you have to decide what movie do you want it to be. And I know you. It's an inspirational tale. And so you're just in the part where you're struggling, but you can see the triumph on the other side, and you keep on moving towards that triumph. Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant. Great. Winston Churchill said, success is going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. Great. Last one. And keep reading words of encouragement to support you. Find devotionals and supportive encouragement to, to, to help you through those struggles. I'll be married 50 years come June 30th. Come on. And my husband becomes more negative every day. <laughs> he is my life partner and my real estate partner. Oh, nice. And I just don't know what to do. I am real positive. He is real negative. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not trying to be self-promotional, but has he read the energy bus yet? Yes, I have. I've read it three has times. He read, has he read it? I was playing it in my bedroom the other night because I had it on audio. He sat on the bed for five minutes and then he went to the other room to sleep. (laughs) So make him read the book and say, you need to read this. Have him read it on his own, an actual book. Read that. I've had so many relationships like this. Heard so many stories of people like, my husband was negative and I hear from the husband and says, I was George. I was like you. And I became more positive as a result. Sometimes an energy vampire can't see their reflection in the mirror, you know, because they don't know they're, they don't know they're negative. So you have to help bring him to the light so he can see it and hopefully realize it. So again, but your words won't do it. But if he reads something, listens to something, hears something, the podcast, Brian's podcast, have him listen to one of his podcasts one day, that will hopefully turn him in the right direction. It's too late to get rid of him. It, <laughs> right. It's. 
I agree. I love that. I love that. Well, and I got to say something like that. Go, go. Definitely. I had a, um, a guy email me and said, my wife is the energy vampire, but kicking her off the bus is not an option. What should I do? And I said, continue to love her. So you continue to love him, and that's going to make the greatest difference. It's, it's too late to kick him off the bus, but it's not too late for him to change. Nice. So she's been a supporter of mine for so many years. She would always want to be in the front row, not for her sake. She wanted to be in the front row so she knew, because she was in the room when there was seven people in the room. And she would always give me energy. That's awesome. And so she'd been coming to this stuff for 20 plus years. Even when the events got huge and thousands of people, she would get up earliest to be there. Not so that I would see her, but so that she would be seen by me to give me life. And I'm happy to talk to him, by the way, your husband. I'm happy to talk to him. Mm-hmm. I really am. I, yeah, I'd be a, you know, because all that you've done for Brian. Yeah, we need to get him on the bus a little bit more. So you know, the more positive you become. Do you mind sharing with the folks your age, please? I'm 74 years young. Nice. Wow. Beautiful. Okay. And still growing and still investing in herself and still developing and whatever else. So what happens is what attracts? Right. My mentor, Lou Holtz, said opposites attract and then attack. So you need to understand that your husband is extremely attracted for 50 years to your positivity. And by the way, the more positive you become, he can rely on the fact that I'm a balancing act. She's Pollyanna. You know, she's over there with John Gordon. You know what I mean? She's just happy all the time. And so I'm kind of a realist. I'm a balancing act. I'm a more practical person than Melvina. Okay? And I've been on the journey a long time and so on and so forth. But don't forget, you know, Moses was 80 when God finally got his attention and put him to work and became useful. And so I would say this. There has many times I've been surprised in this life where someone, I gave everything and everything and everything, and I basically said, well, this person's never going to get it. And I have been surprised many times. And I'm just very thankful that God never gave up on me. And I realize I can never give up on anybody, especially those I love. And so you've got to keep engaging and asking and asking for little bits. And so you go, I just need this one thing from you. Okay? And it might be, okay... Has he ever been a mastermind or anything like that? Or whatever? Uh, he went to peak when we went to Bermuda. Oh, it, well, he went to Bermuda. <laughs> it was our 40th wedding man. Yeah, he went to Bermuda. I remember him. Yeah. And so I just think bit by bit. Yeah. And the other part is this. We have to have the grace. Everybody grows differently. Do you guys remember my assistant, Becky Buchan? Yeah. Becky was phenomenal. Worked for me for a decade. Great. And she was the positive growth person. And her husband was absolutely not into it at all. And he thought, you know, you work for a cult leader. And, you know, this and that and the other and all this type of stuff and whatever else. So I, he finally, she cashed in a chip and she got him to go to an event. And bit by bit, bit by bit. Now, here's what upset her world. He got it. And he got it in a way she never did. And he grew in a way that was different than her because they're different people. And he grew in a way that eventually it became uncomfortable for her. And one day I'm talking to her and I said, are you wishing you cannot put the genie back in the bottle right now? She's like, yeah. Her husband grew to the point that he developed himself. He set goals. They were doing all this stuff. He came to her and said, you need to get out of your comfort zone. She goes, what's my comfort zone? She goes, working for Brian Buffini. And he goes, you've set all these goals to travel the world. And And she, it killed her initially to leave working for us. But he grew in a way that was different than her. And that's what makes relationships magical. 
because you don't have the corner on the market on positivity and he doesn't have the corner on the market on negativity. It's just where you guys are at. And 50 years in, you guys have done something that most people haven't. And so you keep fighting through and keep fighting through because here's the thing. You know, you guys have both been to the circus for a long time now and you know the deal. But it doesn't mean that the show is over. And so you have to give grace still to that. You want him to be positive the way you're positive. You need to really expand yourself to see what does positivity look like for him and lean into that and go on his journey a little bit and go in there and sit with him. He goes into the other room, you go sit with him. Okay? That's it. Just sit there. Nothing. He's watching the ball game, you go watch the ball game with him. But I hate ball games. You want him to go to mastermind? You go watch the ball game you don't want to watch and ask him. Now you'll ask him questions that'll drive him mad. Why did that guy put that ball in that hoop? <laughs> that seems strange. Why is the umpire wearing black and white? It clashes. It makes no sense to me. Lean in. Lean in. Lean in. What do we want? What do we want? We want to go our separate ways. We want to go into our corner. Families become isolated. People don't talk to one another. And we get further and further away and further and further isolated and further and further alone and further and further sad. Lean in. Where the pain is, lean in. Lean in. Just lean in. So you go and test your positivity. I've been pouring into you for 22 years. Okay? You go pour into him. And find out what positive means for him. There might be something magical on the other side. And it may be more advanced personal growth than you've ever experienced. So, I love you though. Buckle up. Okay? Buckle up. Buckle up. Buckle up. I want to say this. We could spend all day here. I love you. He is such a special man. And those of you who pray, pray for this guy. Because he's got so much great opportunity in front of him. And he just needs to make great decisions for himself and his family. As he goes to change the world. And he just doesn't have to change it all by himself. He's a blessing. I hope you guys have enjoyed him. Give it up for John Gordon, people. Come on. Take a bow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was some great stuff. Boy, I hope you took some notes. And I also hope you heard in his voice just the energy he brings and how he makes everybody feel better. And he brings that everywhere he goes. And here's a guy that used to be negative that is now basically the advocate for positivity in the marketplace. So I hope you enjoyed it. I'm glad you tuned in today. I always want to make sure you share this show with your friends. Maybe you know someone who would benefit from listening to John today. And also, on occasion, we have something neat for you. Our producer, the one and only David Lally, fresh from a trip to Mexico, I believe. He has a special message for all of you guys today. Thanks a lot, Brian. We do have something pretty cool to offer you today. If you like what Brian had to say and you're looking to get and stay motivated, check out our world-class coaching program. Our coaches will teach you the fundamentals of working by referral, and they'll also keep you on track to reach your goals. So head over to buffiniandcompany.com slash CCS and request a complimentary group coaching session with our membership consultant team. You can also call them at 800-945-3485, extension 2. Before I hand back to you, Brian, I, I did want to share a letter we received. Uh, we receive lots of letters, lots of input from you guys. This letter came into us recently from Karen Bartos. Dear Brian, I was first exposed to your podcast in November of 2016. 
Since then, Tuesday has become my favorite day of the week. I listen faithfully. I have my favorites that I listen to over and over. I also have my adult children listen to some episodes. The power of a made-up mind to my son, who was studying for his first actuary exam, which he passed, by the way. The attitude of gratitude to my son, who tends to complain a lot. I've also had him listen to The Strangest Secrets so he can understand the power of his thoughts. My children will often greet me in the morning with your well-known greeting. And, for instance, my daughter texted me from college recently. She was in the process of turning in resumes, and she had made a mistake on one of them. So Karen sends a little screenshot of the over and back. Her daughter texts her, Now I'm afraid to submit another one. Karen replies, Don't be. Have someone look it over for you. It's all about learning from mistakes. You have two choices when you make a mistake. Learn from it or be afraid to take action. And her daughter, Madeline, texts back, "Um, Okay, Brian Buffini. So aside from the chuckle, Brian, I want you to know what an impact you have had on my life and obviously the lives of my children who are watching me strive for my goals. I'm a small business owner, a photographer with some big dreams and goals. I could gush a fountain of praise about you being an example, as well as the content you deliver. Absolutely stellar. Keep it coming. Even though I'm not in real estate, I'd love to attend one of your seminars, and I've put it on my list for 2019. God's richest blessing to you, your beautiful family, and your talented staff, Karen Bartos. Karen, thank you for that. Fantastic. And uh, for the chuckle. And back to you, Brian. Thanks. Well, thanks, Dave. I hope you guys all take advantage of that opportunity. That would certainly help you in the area of positive leadership for yourself. And uh, as I've shared here, huge requests coming in about how everybody loves hearing my mom's Irish blessing so much better than me. Just so you know, so do I. So uh, I'll look forward to seeing you again. And uh, I want to leave you with this blessing said over me many times from my own mom, Therese Buffini. We'll catch you next time. Here's Therese. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. 